Welcome to the podcast is dedicated to making you a faster cyclist. The ask a cycling coach podcast presented by trainer road. I'm coach Jonathan Lee with our head coach, Chad Timmerman, Hi, everybody. our CEO, Nate Pearson. Hey, hey. <laughs> and today we are going to answer more of your cycling and triathlon related questions. You can submit them at trainerroadcom slash podcast. Uh, before we get into those questions, a couple things that we want to mention first, uh, it's coming up. We're less than a month away now. Exciting stuff. Uh, crazy that it's less than a month away. What is less than a month away, Jonathan? The live podcast recording at Rafa Cycle Club in San Francisco. You can come see us in the flesh or two of th two of the three. The top two podcast hosts <laughs> of the Trainer Road podcast. You can uh, come in see us. In terms of good looks. <laughs> yeah. let, let, let's just stick <laughs> with hair. Yeah, Stop let's it. just stick with hair density. We'll go with that, right? <laughs> Actually, to talk about this, we were at we were down at Levi's Grand Fondo. Yeah, yeah. And the 40-year-old's checking out Chad. <laughs> I, at dinner, everywhere we go, look, like looking at the legs. Yeah, hair don't, maybe, maybe Chad I thought was, it was Levi. I don't know. That was on <laughs> point. Big like, <laughs> yeah, people hair, loved hair you. Don't help. The ladies loved you down there. <laughs> so uh, you can okay, come so. and join us at Rafa Cycle Club in San Francisco. We're going to have a special guest. I'm excited for this. It's going to be Matt Fitzgerald. Nate, do you want to give a quick lowdown on who Matt is? Matt is a uh, exercise researcher um, and also writer. And he, we're going to talk about a book that he's written called How Bad Do You Want It?, which is about sports psychology, make you go real deep. Yeah, it's going to be a really interesting conversation. You can come and bring your questions. Join us live. If you've ever wanted to ride in San Francisco or the Marin Headlands, this would be a great opportunity to do so. Uh, it's usually better weather, honestly, in the late fall than the summer in San Francisco. Uh, it tends to be. So uh, come join us. Bring your questions. Uh, have an espresso there at the at the Rafa Cycle Club and join us for a group ride thereafter. We're going to head up to the uh, up to Mount Tam is the plan, weather pending. Uh, we'll head up to the top and maybe even take old railroad grade up to the top. Could be your fun. I don't know what that means, but uh, how long, how far is the ride? going to be about 60 to 70 miles 60 70 and it's no drop ride yeah no right? drop we're going to be recollecting regularly that means yeah you so, have to wait for Jonathan. So three to four hours sort of affair yeah yeah exactly so we'll be recollecting it we might recollect it above category or we might recollect it equator coffees whatever else we'll, we'll find some spots definitely collecting it tam uh, up at the top there. So it's going to be a great ride. Come join us. It's going to be a ton of fun. Uh, you can look on Rafa's Facebook page. And if it isn't there now, it will be there very soon, a link to RSVP. So then we know how many people to expect. Uh, space will be limited to some degree. So make sure that you, you sign up for that. So thousands of people outside. Yeah. I'm sorry. Yeah. <laughs> apologize. It'll be like a, bigger than Levi's. Yeah. <laughs> It'll be like a, a Trump rally was like, there's a thousands of people. They won't let everyone in. <laughs> if only, uh, the, the reason I say that is because the, the cycle club obviously isn't meant as an amphitheater or anything else like that. Um, it's a pretty, it's a pretty small place. Show up. So <laughs> yes, that would be awesome. Uh, along those lines, we had a race here in our, in our neck of the woods that actually none of us are able to do, but our product manager, Brandon Need, did. It's called uh, Stetna Sierra Prospect. There's a reason why we're mentioning this. Yeah. Super proud. Mm -hmm. Pretty awesome. Uh, Brandon is, uh, well, I guess a runner and triathlete. Yeah, he, yeah. That uh, he's, he's got, I think, four, uh, 421 or something is his fastest mile. And then I think he's like 15, right around 15 minutes for 5K. So he's a, he's a fast runner. Mm -hmm. And he's also, he went, uh, I think, pro last year and for triathlon, gave that a shot. Yep. And now he's trying cycling uh, specifically. And in his, in his job description, he has to do workouts. Yeah, not so, pro cycling. That's just, true. He just wants to focus on cycling just, just now. Just dabbling. Yeah. Giving it a shot, seeing how it goes. And it's going pretty well. 
Yeah, very well. Cause he's about 140 pounds. And then he's also got, uh, he's got, I think probably yeah, somewhere around engine. 320 threshold, yeah. probably. Yeah. Somewhere there. And I think he's less than that, but yeah. Anyways, who was in the race and what was the race? So yeah, something interesting about the race really quick. It's called Stetna Sierra Prospect. It's organized by the same people that do Levi's Grand Fondo. It's called Bike Monkey. But the interesting thing is it's a totally, it's not a Grand Fondo. It's a totally different format. It utilizes an enduro format that you see from mountain biking. So basically there's a big loop and portions of that loop are timed and they awarded winners based on how they ranked in each of those segments. You could win a segment individually, so you could like really target the descent or the flat section or one of the climbs, or you could go for the overall, uh, which was trying to get the best time overall on all of them. That's what Brandon did. And he came in second place. Uh, Levi pipped him uh, there. Levi who? Levi Leipheimer. What? He was riding with Levi Leipheimer? Did he pip him or he drop him? That's true. Yeah, he dropped him. So, yeah. Uh, And then... But not by much. Well, that's the thing. I mean, he was still hanging in there, and he still managed to drop he, a he, fair amount of talent. He dropped Ted way. King. Ted King. Beat Ted King. Which, Ted King is a big guy, um, and also, as many people know, uh, you know, an ex-pro that spent the majority of his time at the front of the peloton, and he said that, I believe he described him as exceedingly fast. He was yeah. astonished. <laughs> so, Brandon is a strong rider. My best part Pretty of the cool. story, or my favorite part, is Brandon on Mount Rose, which is a long climb here. <clears throat> he said he was it's about 14 miles mm-hmm. if from where they climbed, right? <clears throat> Levi has the KOM, which is about an hour. Yeah. So, uh, they were right next to each other. And Brandon says, Levi put in this massive, massive attack and went really hard. And Brandon like couldn't keep up or didn't try to respond. But then he said he was, he always kept Levi in his sights and he kept seeing Levi look back. And he said that was the best feeling. Every time Levi looked back. Yeah, yeah. He was like worried. It, yeah, it gave him like motivation, just made his year. Yeah. Like seeing that. Because it's like, you, you know, you see these guys on TV and then you get to race against them and go, hey. Yeah, uh, it's pretty awesome. Yeah. Super fast rider. So good job, Brandon. And also keep your eye on that event. Uh, I don't know how well attended it was because it didn't seem like it was marketed very heavily, but I really do think that concept has some legs. Uh, in terms of like that, that, (laughs) oh boy, I didn't even realize that one, but, uh, we're going to be doing an event that has a similar format this weekend called grinduro, but it's just mixed surface, not just road. But I really do think that this is how a lot of people do rides. Anyway, you kind of jam it and everybody kind of goes hard and then you recollect. And I think this has, there's something there. So pretty cool event, uh, check your check out or check it out next year. Next bit of, uh, I guess updates that we wanted to cover was Liz Lyles won another Ironman, this time a full distance, not a half. She won Ironman Chattanooga. Not remember, this isn't 70.3 worlds. This is the full distance one there. And uh, so she had a 45, 13 swim, a 504, 35 bike, which was the fastest bike split, by the way. That's that's the big thing with her because she's usually the fastest runner but she has been using trainer road a lot and now she's the fastest biker, which is pretty cool. Yep. And she's had that consistently fastest bike splits at a lot of her races this year. Um, so, and then three ten thirty three for her, for her, uh, her marathon thereafter and nine Oh five overall for her time. So she's building up to Kona. She was sick there at Ironman Chattanooga, but if she doesn't let that sickness get to her, which she's been training like crazy, she's got a pretty darn good build going into Kona. That's good. Could be exciting stuff. So good job uh, to all these trainer road users doing much more fantastic things than or impressive things than I do these days. (laughs) Uh, I guess Kona on that, we're going there next week. We're going to have some special podcasts. Stay tuned for those. It's going to be interesting. And we're also going to be climbing Mount Ikea. Yep. 
which is the world's tallest mountain. Dun, dun, dun. Although, <laughs> <laughs> although we won't be climbing it from its base because that's far under the ocean. I think Chad's dun dun dun. There was a bit foreboding. <laughs> <laughs> it's just it's it's touted as the hardest climb in the world. Yeah, I don't know how anybody can look forward to that. <laughs> Fifty-five miles, fourteen thousand feet of climbing. Somehow, yeah, we get four. So, it, I mean, looking at the profile, I know that towards saddle climb it tips down a bit. And then also when you turn onto a, a highway, you get a little bit of a roller coaster effect, but you basically climb consistently the whole time. You go up to 13,600 feet, I believe, but we amass, I think 14,000 feet of climbing somehow. Three podcast listeners are going to join us and you better not beat us or I'll cut off your train road account. <laughs> <laughs> I don't think that'll happen, <laughs> but yeah, this is going to be interesting. We're going to go into more detail on this, uh, with a, hopefully a special guest as well. Uh, once we're there in, in Kona, but stay tuned for that. going to be interesting stuff. But before we go any further, let's get into Levi's Grand Fondo. That was last Saturday. All of us raced that, uh, or should we say raced it? Rode it. We rode it. We rode it. We got Bros. a legit Grand Fondo <laughs> experience, right? Yep. Uh, we had plans to try to, you know, push the envelope and really get this thing going really fast. Night, night you, you guys had those. No, no, yeah. <laughs> night before. <laughs> Chad wasn't planning on it the whole time. <laughs> the night before, Jonathan goes, you know what? We should all just ride this together and and be cool. Yeah. Chad's like, okay. And I said, okay. Yeah. So we did it. And I, I think that we got uh, an experience that we don't usually get because usually the three of us tend to be the more competitive type that like to, to push things. Yeah. So. And even during that, like us, like riding at a good pace and talking to people and spending time at aid stations, it was hard sometimes to see like a, like a pace line of people go by us and be like, oh, I could chip onto there. Mm -hmm. Which was frankly pretty rare. I mean, uh, it, it, I guess that would only happen there if we yeah, were there, there was but... There was less people like going hard, right? Oh, but yeah. still, yeah. But my competitive ego juice inside of me is like, oh, I could jump onto that. Yeah. I could take off 20 minutes. <laughs> right. Uh, it was 102 miles. And so that's about 164 kilometers. We had, and then the climbing, it's 8,943 feet or 2,726 meters. Which isn't terribly descriptive over a course as long as 100 miles. We need, to under, mm. we need to portray them, those climbs for what they were. And some of them were incredibly steep and yeah. none of them lasted particularly long. I think no. it was yeah, steep like, and then kind of flat and then steep yeah, and flat. They fluctuated, right? Mm -hmm. Like at times you kind of wish they would fluctuate a little more regularly, but yeah. they, they fluctuated even though if you were to look at the profile, it looks like there are really like four major climbs. The first, well, the first one's small, but it's certainly pronounced. That one uh, is when you're you're cutting up there to Occidental. It gives you a little taste of the grades you're going to face. Yep. And then once we got into King Ridge, which is the next one, it's where we really started to recognize this steep and then kind of relief, steep, relief, steep, relief that yeah. we ended Ten, up facing. 10% 10 plus grades were not uncommon. Yeah. In fact, one guy, but you never know Garmin's in the moment, you know, the yeah, head units, the moment. They, they, they change. And, and who knows if you got an errant GPS reading, because one guy was going up, it was a steep turn, but he was like 22%. No, and I, eh, I didn't I don't see think that. The highest I was 16. Yeah. So I want to describe the, a little bit more about the course. So you're in the, for at least for the first part of it in like the redwoods, which is really cool or a bunch of trees. And as you go through it though, it's not totally thick. So the, the road has, it would be you're going light to dark, Splotchy. light to dark, right? Yeah. All the time. And then inside the road too, maybe a part of it's covered in trees and some of it's not like mm -hmm. you know, shadows. And the only problem my only complaint about this whole race are the California potholes. <laughs> they are gigantic, like take your life away potholes. And they would, um, they did a good job of like using white spray paint. They'd, yeah, like, they did. Th to market and stuff. But just the amount of potholes, it was, 
it was like a cross race on some of these descents. In that opening stretch, I can't count how many people we passed due to flat tires. Yep. Yeah, there were a lot of them. Yeah, I hadn't thought of that. And we would be in a group of people, especially at the beginning, because, you know, you start... Mm-hmm. So let's describe the start. Yeah. So and first it happens in Santa Rosa, California. Yep. We should say that and heads outward toward the coast and slightly north and wraps back around. Uh, that it's, it's a huge amount of riders. I still don't know how many riders there actually were. Let's say 3,500. Cause yeah. I think that's like an official thing. Yeah, I believe so. Uh, I think that I heard the announcer at one point say 6,000. <laughs> I, I like, think he was just yeah, getting everybody hyped. <laughs> yeah. So 6,000 wheels out here. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> there we are. Uh, but it, basically the way that this race works is that you start in town uh, and it was super foggy and chilly for us in the morning, which is normal for the, that area for up in Sonoma County to have cold fog. Oh, let's talk so about this. Way. What do you guys do on a long race when it starts out cold, but then it's going to be in the eighties later on? Mm-hmm. Same thing we did with this, which is well, our arm warmers and a vest. Layers. Yep. Layers is what I went after. Arm warmers and a vest. That's what yeah. your guys' one. Mm-hmm. Yep. Any different in gloves? I actually didn't even use a vest. I think I... Decided against the vest last minute. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah, I use the vest and I use the vest almost all day, but I, I run a little cold. So Jonathan had the vest open all day in my arrow, like geek sense. I was like, what are you doing? <laughs> the Watts, the Watts. <laughs> if I was pushing it and I wanted a good time, I wouldn't have had that, right? That's yeah. for sure. So, but since it was an easy pace, I didn't mind having the vest flat. And I did just a vest mm-hmm. and I started off cold. And that's that's a pretty good sign, actually. If you know mm-hmm. the day's going to get better and you start off just a little bit just cold. a little chilly. Yeah, after 10 miles, I was perfectly fine. And then after the first aid station, it took that vest off. Yeah, I think I was goosebumps until we hit the coast. So I was I was pretty wow. chilly. But uh, it was it, it that really helps. And we've talked about this before, but merino wool arm warmers, if you can get them, are so nice. Because one thing that I hate is, like you said, you might warm up. And on this in this race, you have that climb that comes pretty early on. And if you get those things sweaty, then it's just you're surrounded in wet liners. And that just makes you clammy. And it's not good. So merino um, wool does a good job of managing that. But it's the- Who just, makes those? Uh, Rafa are the ones that I use. I don't know if they're, I don't know of any other brands and I'm sure they exist, but the Rafa ones are great. When we go to the Rafa uh, cycling club, I'm going to try some of those on. I'm yeah, worried because awesome. some Merino wool will itch me and some won't. Oh yeah. That's a good point. So, yeah. But some, usually if it's high quality, which I'm. It is. Yeah. Uh, yeah. it shouldn't itch. So we'll see. Cool. So the, but the call up position, or I shouldn't say call up, but how you get sorted into line was yeah, something go- that we really wanted to pay attention to. Yeah, and this is a grand fondo. Do other grand fondos do this that are big or is this only a Levi thing? They usually know. try to, uh, if they don't, it's just because they haven't faced the problem head on yet, but I mean, most big people. races, yeah, you have to do something or else it becomes too dangerous. Cause we know it. So basically the way that it sorts is that you have the special guests, like the guests of honor. So Ted King and, uh, Andrew Talansky and all those guys were up. Dave Zabriskie. Yep. Uh, Floyd Landis as well. Uh, all those guys were up there and then you have sponsors. So, uh, if you know, Patron, for example, tequila was there. Yep. They Patron sponsored the event and they had a whole crew up there. They must've not known we were there. (laughs) 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 And, uh, then after that, they had anybody who had finished, Previously, before seven and a half hours could get a little sticker on their number plate and that could get them into like a special corral, so to speak. Mm-hmm. Although I did not see many people in that at all. And then after that, it was just self-sorted and oh, self-sorted with expert. Oh, yeah, you're right. Then after that, intermediates and then beginners. So you just sorted yourself appropriately. Which is such a good idea. Yes. Like such a good idea. Mm-hmm. That uh, way people that are not super comfortable. Super messy otherwise. Yeah. And they can just get in the back and then people that want to go fast can get in the front. So if you show up late, you don't have to like yes. get in the back or... 
they do that at the epic rides like Carson city off road race that we did. They did that at that race as well. And that was really, really helpful. Um, I didn't notice in the beginning there was shuffling, but not a whole lot for how big the group was. Nobody seemed overly concerned with where they were standing or if you wanted to shimmy by them. Yeah. 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 Chad and I walked in, uh, actually uh, errantly into the intermediate side of things, Mm -hmm. but we worked our way toward the front and everybody was very okay with it. And, you know, we were doing so kindly. That's an important thing to do. Um, but everybody was okay with it. Nobody was too stressed. So. And I jumped the barrier. You did. I just walked. I, I could step Successfully over it. Successfully this time. Yeah. No, I could step <laughs> over it with his daddy long legs. Yeah, <laughs> yeah truth. Uh, but that really, I think, is a key. Uh, and one of the big reasons it's a key is because this is a Grand Fonda, remember? So there are aid stations. And with this race regularly, there were a lot of aid stations. 20 miles, every 20 miles? Yeah, it was really uh, yeah. well supported and it staffed was. and stocked. And one thing that I noticed at the first aid station was it was packed, a bunch of people uh, all over the place. And if you start way too far back, then you could get to a point where those aid stations just drag on a little too long every time or a lot too long, and that could put a damper on your day. So when you're talking about getting into the right position, it's not just safety and riding with the people that you want to ride with, but also think ahead about the implications on how it could affect the pacing with even aid stations. So that's one thing. Uh, Before that, though, what did we eat? Oh, lots and then lots. In the morning. Um, so <laughs> breakfast before the ride. Come on, let's describe the night before dinner. <laughs> yeah, that's true. <laughs> so we went to Thai food and- uh, We got spicy Thai. Yes, you guys did. I did not. Yeah. yeah There's I no did. reason we got it. We just like, I like spice yeah. and it doesn't affect me. And Nate, you got two entrees. I did. I got, uh, <laughs> I've been traveling. I think I flew there from Canada from the Ant Symposium thing. Yeah. And I got a Thai fried rice and a um, pad Thai. Pad so thai. like it was- it's two full meals. Yeah, two yeah. full meals. So probably, what do you think? 15, 1800 calories there? Probably. Per? Yeah. Per? <laughs> it was a lot. It was a lot though. Yeah. And it was awesome. on purpose and I was didn't have a good lunch. So I wanted to make sure I ate a lot. But I think all of us felt fine and fueled after that. Mm-hmm. No issues, mm-hmm. right? And then in the morning, I just had a small bowl. Well, of- what about dessert? <laughs> so I went back and I had another 800 calories of uh, Bob's Red Mills. I didn't know that. <laughs> yeah. And a banana. <laughs> yeah, Nick oh. kept going. Uh, the, in the morning, That's I just good, had guys. a small thing of oatmeal myself, and it was sufficient. It was totally fine. And the reason for that, in certain races, if I'm looking to pace really hard, for example, I'll have a bigger breakfast because I know I'm not going to stop at those aid stations. But in this case, I knew we were going to stop at aid stations. So I wasn't overly concerned with getting in a huge meal. I think that you could put yourself in a bit of a problem there if you eat a huge meal, overload your gut, and then ride, yeah. only to know that you can stop at aid stations later. It may mess things up. Know thyself. Because <laughs> I also had another, I think I had eight or 900 calories of Bob's Red Mill muesli in the morning with milk and then a uh, banana. Jeez. Yeah. It was good. Oh, there we are. I, it wasn't overly full. I, I, you guys saw me. I didn't throw up or have any problems. No. And I never felt I never felt hungry throughout the day with the aid stations. I carried with me some shop blocks from Cliff, and I had two Cliff, the uh, uh, coconut almond butter bars. But other than that, I had two handfuls of chips that were at an aid station and two wedges of watermelon. And that was it. And it, it got me through. That's so um, crazy. So, but the, that was really nice to be able to, like that change of pace. It was nice to be able to count on the aid stations, man. That was, that was something that was pretty cool. Mm-hmm. I don't really live the aid station life all the time. So it's kind of nice. I to think live. it makes the whole endeavor that much more enjoyable. Just as rather than slogging through everything and trying to get it done as quickly as possible and just getting more and more fatigued over the course of it, more uncomfortable and that gets ache, your little back tightens up more, all that. Just getting off for a few minutes at a time. In my case, grabbing a couple of barbecue chips and some M&Ms and rolling. So one yeah, key thing, yeah, and that's a key point is, so every 20 miles, we I think we skipped the first aid station, not uh, by choice. It just went by. Yeah, 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 we did. We hit yep. the second one. That's right. And then we'd stop there and they'd all have like 
some of them would have uh, like iced coffee, which mm-hmm. was really good. I put that in my bottle. That was nice. Mm-hmm. And then we'd eat some food, go to the bathroom, stretch, talk for a second, but we didn't take too long. Only yeah. one of them, I think we had a, we were there for a little bit too long. Um, yeah. The one before the descent that they yep. slowed us down on. And I felt bad, but um, that would be a, a thing that I would recommend for people. Even if you don't think your fitness is there, yeah. don't spend like 20 minutes at an aid station because totally. we'll make it, it's so much harder to get on the bike and go again. Your body like has to warm up. Yep. Yeah. I agree. Five to 10 minutes. Go. Yeah. As far as things we carried with us outside of nutrition, we all had our tools and everything else on us. Uh, I carried Chad and I, you used a saddlebag or no? No, I just had a tube CO2 and a patch kit. Right in your Jersey pockets, right? Cool. And then I used a saddlebag on the back, which that saddlebag just had a tube CO2 levers and that was it. Uh, And that guy. And I had the same thing. It was a specialized bandit, which is like, they're cool. They look cool. (laughs) (laughs) But this one was, this one is an MTB bandit. Hence why the, the, why the tube dropped easily, I think. Oh, you, so they lost all his gear. They didn't have a road bandit and you were without a saddlebag. So it was the best thing we could do. That was a mountain bike bandit? Yeah, it is. It's the best we could do though. Otherwise, I lost my tire lever, my air chuck, my (laughs) tube, and I ended up with just a CO2 dangling (laughs) below my saddle. So what it's like a, it's like an elastic kind of thing that, that stretches around a tube and then it screws into my saddle. It's very lightweight and minimalist, which I like. And only specialized saddles have these spots where you can thread in these accessories into the back. Uh, like they're non-carbon ones. Yes. They're S-Works one. It doesn't have them. Lame. So yeah. One thing to, to know or to note, if you do end up with an MTB bandit, but you're on the road, I recommend taking that tube and not caring how organized it is and just kind of mashing it in a ball into there and tightening down the strap. Cause I bet that would have held things in a little better. Black duct tape. Yeah. That could work too. Um, does that, make th- in that too, that black duct tape could help on a slight sidewall gash. Yeah. As long as it doesn't get too hot and gummy, then it would be good. Cause sometimes Gaffer's that tape. can cause problems. There we are. That's the best stuff to use. So that's what we carried with us there. Um, uh, base on our bikes. We just rode our road bikes. Normal. Uh, nothing, nothing special, nothing no, special, no just for it. right out of the basement. Well, I wish I would have gone a little lower air pressure because of the, uh, I did. And I, I'm happy about it. So and 95 you, PSI oh. front and rear. And oh, your yeah. high volume tires, so. yeah. And your bike too has the uh, suspension, which is nice. Yeah, yeah, it's got the, the little uh, what are they called? ISO speed ISO speed decouplers. Yeah, I it wouldn't like remember. S- I just read that yesterday. I wouldn't have remembered it otherwise. <laughs> <laughs> it sounds like something off of Ghostbusters. It does, doesn't it? Use yeah. the ISO speed decoupler. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so it is worth mentioning though that all of us. Uh, so Nate had pretty low gearing. You had a compact. No, the mid mid compact. So fifty two thirty six chain rings up front. And you had a 32, except yep. that it went all the way up to a 32 and back. Yep. Salivating was, listening to it. It was wonderful. <laughs> <laughs> and I had a 5034, so a compact. And then I had a, t- a 1228 in the back or 1128 in the back. Chad, what did you have? 5341, maybe a 44, but I think it's a 41. Either way, way too big. Um, but the rear cluster was a, geez, 1132. I think you go yeah, up to a 32. Yeah, yeah, so I at least had a 32 going in my favor. Yeah. And I, those steep pitches, it would have been nice to just spin through. It wasn't as if it made it impossible, right? Like we, we made it through just, just fine in terms of that. Um, I did see one person walking a climb at one point, but the climbs really are not that, that bad. And usually if it's a steep pitch, it's over pretty quick. Pretty sure. You have gearing. If you're on a standard mm-hmm. with a, like a 1123. It would be rough. It would be really rough. Definitely so rough. one thing too, you see this all the time in the Tour de France where there's the really, um, you don't call them switchbacks, but the. Yeah, they are. The yeah, switchbacks, yeah. yeah. Yep. And the sometimes the riders ride on the inside, 
Mm-hmm. But for us with gearing, we're running out of gears. It was so much easier to not ride on the inside, do the long way on the outside. So many times I would do that, I would end up right next to the same person I was before, mm-hmm. right? Yeah, but the inner pitch burn. is usually a couple degrees steeper at least. Yeah. And you wouldn't burn your legs out though. Yes. And so Chad, you wish you had less or smaller gears. Yeah, just I just needed a smaller inner ring. Yeah, that would have made that, that would have been a night and day difference because as it was, even on like an eight or a nine percent grade, which is still quite steep, that had me down to geez sixty RPM already. Yeah, when you were at around sixty RPM, I was sitting at around eighty RPM. Yeah, I would and just watch these two in front of me, just almost doubling my cadence, and it just uh, as the day went on, that got really tough to do. Yeah. And there there was a yeah. point too where. Um, early on the race, where you had your power PR, what was it, 10 minutes at 245 or 249? It's a lot. 345. 345. Yeah, 345 for 10 minutes. But it was early on, and Chad and I are similar weight, and I was looking at my power meter going, shoot, like, I don't want to be doing 340 right now. I didn't either. Yeah, you didn't. That's that's my that's exactly that's my what point. what I had to do, yeah. Is I dropped back a little bit, and I was going 310. Mm-hmm. And, um, cause you were able to spin exactly. Cause I had more gears and Chad, did you really need your big front chain ring? No, I, no. I could have done with a, a mid compact for sure. It would have been like just fine. The big chain rings like for, for like really fast road racing yeah. where the downhill finish Black horses. Yeah. Really yeah. TT, but not like grand trains. training. Like you don't really need it. Mm-mm. Yeah. Um, I definitely recommend mid compact or compact and at the least up to a 28 in the back. But if you can squeeze a 32 on there, you're just going to have a more pleasant day. Yeah. Uh, it's really going to help. Yeah. I didn't need a big ring. The way that worked out too, I mean, it was such a rolling course that anytime we hit a downhill, it was usually after a pretty tough uphill. So all I wanted to do was relax anyway, try to recover. And you guys were so I was fine on the uphills, but on the downhills, a little sketch, especially with all the explosive. You weren't sketched in terms of bike handling. You were just nervous on them. Yeah, because yeah. of mm-hmm. the, uh, the well, you wisely, the you speed. wisely, you wisely stayed within yourself. Yeah, it was it was say. the um, the potholes, yes. right? So those were kind of scary. Mm-hmm. But anyways, you guys were nice, and you would wait for me. So I'm glad you didn't just be like, I'm going to jam <laughs> these downhills. Yeah, yeah. As you guys would kind of go easier and then or run it flattened off you'd, you'd yeah, and honestly i don't like bombing descents when there are that many people on the course because even if i'm on someone's wheel who i trust like jonathan's for instance i don't know what's gonna come up in front of him anytime soon right and same with potholes i mean he hits a pothole or even ducks a pothole that i don't or we just come then this happened plenty there's someone inside of a turn taking a horrible line and we had to work around that so if we were to carry a lot of speed into turns like that wouldn't have gone well yeah it's something that we saw in a, in a few different cases is, is people just, you know, really jamming up something at the very end to try to, you know, I don't know if they were searching for a PR or a KOM. Just wanted on a it climb, to be over with. Or what, yeah, maybe wanted to get it over with. I didn't see many people descending what I would say dangerously because of speed, just because of line choice, you know, uh, or being uncomfortable. Sometimes like, the road forced you into a crappy line choice. I mean, potholes yeah. were where they were. You just had to deal with it. The one thing that we did notice um, <laughs> that we pointed out, and Chad, you coined a great term for this, was especially early on we're all in a tight pack right oh, can, I ton des- of riders. can i describe this because, yeah please go ahead okay you're on the freeway <laughs> and there's a lot of traffic but there's not like it's not gridlock right everyone's moving let's like 70 right everyone's kind of spaced out everyone's moving real tight and then there's one guy that just weaves in and out of everyone yeah going like 85 90 trying to get through everyone when it's obviously a dumb move yeah this is what would happen at the beginning of levi's grand fondo Everyone's going like 25 miles per hour, 30 down a descent. Yeah. And there's one dude who doesn't want to touch his brakes. So he is weaving in and out and everyone causing like, he actually, this 
one of these dudes was even shoulder Jonathan out of the way. Mm -hmm. yeah. Like no reason to use your brakes. It's so a no net positive effect. He didn't yeah, yeah. improve his position ever. We all ended up in the same place just down the road. Yeah, that's the tricky thing. And and I, I've, you know, I, I definitely noticed more problems with people breaking poorly on descents or taking poor lines. But the one spot that I also see this happen a lot is when you get to the toward the top of a climb, and people feel like they have to surge and cut through and take lines so they can get over that little, the top of the ridge, you know, that, first. That might be more out of desperation. This guy was just being impolite. How, what do we call that? He's, he's a pass hole. <laughs> I love that. So yeah. uh, we, we, I use that term a lot. Actually, we didn't see many pass holes, maybe like three the whole race. Yeah. Everyone else was good, but yeah. even somebody, because of this pass hole, this pass hole mm. did a bad turn and cut somebody off. And then I had to slow down. And then there was someone smaller, a woman who was probably like five, four behind me. She couldn't see anything over me. I mean, yeah, she yeah. yelled at me. She's like, what are you doing? Exactly. And I'm like, it's the same ripple effect you get in any mass start situation. But in this case, the, the skill level is so widely varied that it yeah. becomes so, so much more dangerous. Yeah, yeah, it really does. Really in inconsiderate. And what, one thing that we did was we looked up all the names of the climbs, everything else, got familiar with the course. I had actually ridden the latter, I guess, two thirds maybe of the course or latter third of the course and first bit. So I wanted to make sure that we had those key characteristics down. And then we actually made a cheat sheet. And by we, he means just Jonathan. Yeah. I did not know anything about the course. I didn't, I didn't look up anything. I, said, I did a bit of Strava recon. That was the extent of it. Right. And the cheat sheet helped us. Well, it didn't help Chad at all because I didn't put it on Chad's bike. You forgot mine. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, on it was taped to our top tube. And you could make them to fit on your stem too, which actually after doing it on the top tube, I feel like we should, I want to do it on the stem next time. Cause looking down was a little tough, uh, mm, but it's a good idea. Yeah. Having it on the stem. And we basically just marked when there were climbs, when there were dangerous descents that were marked as such, uh, just cause we wanted to know where those were and aid stations. Mm -hmm. And with those three things, we were able to really break up the day. It made it I don't know about you guys, but it did not feel like a hundred mile day to me. No, it didn't. Because it was just, we had everything so effectively broken up into those small chunks. Yeah. And it so the, the sheet too, for you guys to think about it, it is the miles on the left. And then next to it, Jonathan has an icon. So you could tell if it was an icon of a climb. Dangerous descent was like a exclamation point. Aid station, station was a plus. Yep. Yeah. Like a, a Red medic cross. sign. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. And that helped you. And you would see from mile blank to mile blank would be the climb. And then how much elevation mm -hmm. it would have that you'd be gaining. And it really concise, really tidy. I was quite impressed. Well, thank you. Thank you. But yeah, I think that that's something that a lot of people could do. You could sketch this on a napkin too and tape that sucker on. But that's one thing that I feel like was really helpful for us was to have something like that. Should you do it for Mauna Kea? Yes. Will. Zero Absolutely. to 55 miles. <laughs> Climbing. Just put skull, skull and crossbones <laughs> next to it. Uh, and along those lines, though, that, that helped me approach everything with more calm. And I think that if you're going in, usually if it's a big event like this, it probably doesn't happen in your backyard. You may be familiar with it, but you're probably traveling to it. So just do yourself a favor and use that. No, so many, so many times I'd be like, we'd be two miles into a climb or 20 minutes. And I look down and be like, oh, we have eight more miles. Yeah, like, yeah, yeah. And it was, it would flatten out a little bit, but still right. it would help me gauge my effort level. Yeah. And that was important because we saw a lot of people going really hard on climbs and then just walking, just, yeah, basically cases. jettisoning right off the back. Yeah. Right. So that's a, a good way to do it. Also, we used best bike split. In this case, it wasn't about like finding the fastest time that we could possibly do, even though of course we did. Uh, we looked at that though, to get a more realistic expectation of what we should expect on pacing and and yeah, wasn't far off. Actually, we ended up riding for six hours and two minutes was our overall ride time. And then, uh, or our, our moving time. And then our six Oh two was our, or six thirty two thirty two was our overall time. So 
really not not so too. It's been about a half hour at aid stations. Yeah, yeah, which is pretty oh. good. I feel like so. Yeah, I'm happy with it. Not too long. Uh, anything else that you guys want to cover? Disc brakes are the <laughs> best. <laughs> the best. There's yeah. There's one section too. It was so dangerous in the downhill, and there's construction that they made us go slow. Thank you, event organizers. Yeah. That was super smart. So. Even if that road had been perfect, it was so severely steep. Oh my god! Bad things would happen. Yeah, they. I actually heard them saying that they had, had somebody. I don't know if this is over exaggerated, but they had somebody pass away on that route, uh, in that spot I would on not previous be years. It's just a, it's a steep, but I don't regret going down it. I'm really glad they paced it because the views after that, that had to have been one of the most spectacular views of the California coast I've ever seen coming yeah, down incredible. King Ridge. But just, incredible. so if I would have done that at my weight on um, like any other kind of tube, yeah, rim brakes with tubes, they would have popped. Yeah. And then I would have been on the side of the road. But the disc brakes on all of these scary descents with potholes, I could just go the speed I wanted and it was fine. I was living the peasant life with rim brakes over here. <laughs> yeah. And uh, it was it, it was not good on that steep descent. The brakes were hot. They started to squeal. Even we stopped like th- probably four minutes after that climb or after that descent stopped, I had to pull over going up a climb because I got a leaf caught in between my rim and my my tire or my, my fork and my, my tire. And when I went to pull that out, just touching my rims was hot to the touch still. Yeah. After that long, I'm not using my brakes. For those who don't know this story, I'll say it real quick. My aluminum, I had aluminum wheels with rim brakes before, and I popped my inner tube using my brakes too much on a short descent, but it was just, it was very, very steep and twisty. Mm-hmm. And I think I was going 30 when it popped. Mm-hmm. And that is not fun. Yikes. No. So that's why I like using yeah, it's brakes now. Definitely a lot safer. Not to mention they're so much easier to modulate. And over a long day, over a hundred mile ride, when oh. the climbs and descents keep on coming, it's pretty nice it's, to not have um, to deal with that hand I, fatigue. I won't. Yes. I pretty much just won't ride unless it's a flat, a flat course. Yeah. I just don't want rim brake bikes ever again. And there's really no point I'm to like, even have it on a flat course because the disc brakes are still just going to be better. <laughs> yeah. But I mean, yeah. I wouldn't, there's not so much of a safety issue. They're yeah. still better. Yeah. yeah. The, uh, my TT bike has uh rim brakes. And I'm just waiting for more. There's a couple disc brake bikes, but yeah. I'm waiting for them to have more, more, come, more come out. Yeah. That, that little, that less leverage that you talked about that you have to use every time you brake, mm-hmm. it adds up. It compounds. It, you know, sure. it takes stress off of your neck and shoulders and mm-hmm. everything else, because you use a lot of that when you're trying to clamp down on those brakes. So the other thing I want to say is, and we've talked about this a lot, but I probably ate 400 calories an hour, probably 2,500 calories during that time. Right. I felt great the whole time. I actually think I felt a little better, like 70 miles plus. Yeah. You became, you became Belgium Nate or yes. Belgian Nate on the yes. way back. Yeah. I, I was ready to rip had a lot it. left. <laughs> I, I did. I, I was, yeah. I felt good. Yeah. Um, so I just, there's probably the takeaway is nutrition is individual. Yes. Mm-hmm. Um, Cause you also had a lot left yeah, and you didn't fine. eat much at all. No. Um, you didn't like drop off. No, no. I didn't feel any type of, oh man, I'm really getting empty. Never felt that. Yeah. So. And I think I nourished exactly right. I had the, mm-hmm. I used that you can super starch. So it's more slow release carbohydrate and uh, just two bottles of that. And then, like I said, just a couple chips, a couple M&Ms at the aid stations, coffee at that one and everything. Energy wasn't my uh, downfall in the closing 20 miles or you so. You just had some that cramping, was right? <laughs> Yeah, <laughs> common theme. But uh, it just uh, had to muscle too big a gear for too long. And it, it reared its ugly head at one point and kind of debilitated me. 
Yeah. Kind of nothing. It did. Yeah. You can go to blog.trainerroad.com uh, for all full write-up on, on this, how to train or how to best prepare for the list of do's and don'ts, if you will, on Levi's Grand Fondo. And you can check that out. And I, I really, I'm, I'm actually writing that piece right now and I'm doing so to make sure that it has application to a broad variety of races, not just Levi's. So and I'll have a little picture of your cheat sheet too, right? Yeah, I will. And I'll have the cheat sheet and what we carried with us, all that stuff. Would you guys do more Grand Fondos? Yeah. yeah like, I, especially, I, I, I will. Yeah, I will too. It was, it was fun. Yeah, like uh, I don't know if um, I would do that one again, but in ter- it's not like high on my list just because I feel like it's done. I would love to ride the majority of those roads again because uh, I loved them. But if they didn't have the potholes, I'd be like, yes, oh, I'm coming dream, back next right? year. Yeah, and you, yeah. there's some part of that ride or you're by the coast. It looks just amazing. It was amazing. And those roads are smooth. Once you get out of the like those shadows, yeah, yeah, it's where, where it doesn't matter as much. <laughs> the roads are perfectly smooth and wonderful and <laughs> it's, oh, it's beautiful. Yeah. Also, just um, to end on this really quick, really well organized. Oh, yeah. Extremely well organized. So Top event. I was very impressed. The roads even were closed for a large chunk of it for us, which was pretty cool. So... Uh, Nate, let's get into this. So you're, I have we a just question did Levi's Grand Fondo. For We've Coach got Chad. Mauna Kea coming up, everything else. Um, so yeah, dig in. So here's my question, Chad. Um, we have a unique thing where we during, well, not unique. I think other people do this too. We have a Sunday. We had a big race. It was like 360, 380 TSS. Then the net one week from then, the next weekend, we're going to have a big six hour thing, Grinduro, which I'm sure we're going to get like 300 TSS on. Mm-hmm. And then shortly after them Thursday, but let's pretend it's like another week. Um, we have Mauna Kea, which is going to be like 7,000 TSS. Mm-hmm. So what Probably. do or eight, whatever my question is <laughs> at that point, really what's yeah, an extra thousand. <laughs> <laughs> my question is though, is how do I manage my training stress and recovery? The balance in between that, between those two, should I do nothing? I'll tell yeah. you what I have been doing. And then you tell me what I should be doing. Yeah. I can tell you there's, there's no easy answer for this, but, uh, it basically you have to have to decide or see what sort of whole events like these dig, you know, what, what sort of, uh, stress you carry into them and then what sort of stress you can tolerate over the course of them. And then how long it takes you to come back to, uh, a, just, uh, the level, even the level that you were at so that you can continue your progression. So super subjective. I mean, you can do a 300 TSS day as a grand tour rider. That's common territory for them. For us to do a 300 TSS day, it kind of knocks us down. Kind of? Kind Yeah. Or a lot. <laughs> no, a lot. Yeah. yeah. I was, so, we did actually, we did, I bespoke, we did it Saturday. Mm-hmm. Sunday, I was dead. And we actually drove back that same night. I was wasted was for two days. Mistake. Yeah. yeah. And yeah. I think that, and it wasn't that the pace was high or anything else. It's just that that's TSS, that's stress yeah. and stress adds up. And in my case, the additional muscle stress for pushing the big gears, and, I think took a further toll. And dealing with cramps. Like it's. Oh yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Crampy to the point where I have muscle soreness still. Oh yeah. Wow. Yeah. And, and, and just to add to that really quick, driving back right after a race like that. Uh, you know, all of us wanted to get back. You had been traveling, mm-hmm. everything else. Uh, but at the same time, if your goal is optimal recovery, it's not a good idea. Yeah, yeah. we had an Airbnb too, so we could have stayed. We and it was nice. Paid, we paid for it an extra <laughs> night. It was very nice. Yeah, we blew that. Uh, we had good food we could have gotten to. I know. We went to bed at like seven. Instead, we got home at like 10, 30, 11 or something. Yeah. But I, I, so I think the common trap with this is that a lot of people feel they need to get right back on top of it and they rush that recovery process. They don't They don't give due credit to the fact that these events take a heavy, heavy physiological toll. Mm-hmm. So it, it's all about just kind of easing back into your training and seeing what you're capable of. I mean, you're obviously not going to do a VO2 max workout, but you might even find that something like sweet spot repeats two days out are still too hard and you're still basically just postponing your recovery, which means if, like in our case, we have another event coming up this weekend we would if we tried to train over the course of this week just as just as we had in in a 
prior weeks, we'd carry a whole lot of fatigue into what could potentially be another really fun event. Mm. Uh oh. So <laughs> and will be. <laughs> this yeah, is what Grand I did. going to be a blast. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So I Saturday did the race, and then I took days off until Wednesday. Mm. Wednesday uh, afternoon, I did. Uh, I raised my FTP 15 watts. Oh, look at to you! Make it harder. So yeah. I'm 320 right now. Which I, I can I can attest to. I think that the, your FTP is higher. Yeah, we saw evidence <laughs> of it. Yeah, yeah, we did. Pretty good. Yeah. I looked real good. <laughs> Gosh. The cops, even when I was coming by, they said, you're good. You're good. Like <laughs> yeah. pointing me through. I'm sure, I'm sure that's exactly what they were talking about. They're like, yeah. wow, it's good. After when they rolled through, they said, you're real good. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's amazing what you can, if you just go through life, looking at those type of com- comments as compliments, it's just, yeah, you're happy. Throws you up all the time. Yeah. So then good. I did um, Mount Deborah plus one, which is an hour and 15 minutes, 10 intervals at three minutes long at like 108 to 110% FTP. Uh, it's my favorite post FTP raising uh, workout. I did not, I self assess. So I just said, you know what? I'm stronger than this and I raised it up. I didn't do a test. Mm-hmm. Um, I always do Mount Deborah afterwards. It felt good, hard, but good. Anyways, I'll, I'll keep going and keep adjusting. I think I'm 320. But, anyways, I'm just going to do that. I did that Wednesday. Felt good this morning. Super tired. More tired than I usually would be. Mm-hmm. I kind of want to do a recovery ride today at 50%. Mm-hmm. And not have Smart. the not have the fan on because I'm worried about the heat in Hawaii. Totally. Well, and all, but that also could be not, too much no. though with the fan. Not no fan. I don't think we're going to have to deal with that much heat in Hawaii. It's going to be mm-hmm. so short lived anyway. Exactly. A couple hours tops. Because then we'll climb right out of that heat. Yeah. And we're into uh, cool temperate. I don't think it's going to be a, right cold. a factor worth uh, addressing no, right now. Not at all. The, and and one thing that I would comment on as well is just that, like you said, Chad. I guess it really is. You know, there is no really easy catch all answer here. But hmm. you know, grind duro the race that we have coming up. The segments are short pretty short. Mm-hmm. Like the climb is going to be, I think a mile, the climbing segment is a mile long. It's in the middle of a very long climb that climbs 3,500 feet, but it's only a mile long. And that's when you really want to gas it. So like you don't want to be drained. You want to have uh, your, you want to be fresh on those, for those short, hard segments, efforts that yeah. you're going to have to do. I've actually thought about it a little bit differently is I don't have to, it'll be easier for me to fake it through because there's like two seven minute hard sections. Yeah. The, the other two are descents. Yeah. And everything else, I'll just go, I can go as slow as I, my gearing allows me yeah. to. I guess, yeah. I mean, if you're looking at like really putting out a lot of, you know, and because keep in mind, the whole day is only scored on those segments, right? Yeah. So if you do want to make a difference, those climbs are really going to be where it happens. So yeah, it's, it's kind of tricky to weigh it all out. So anyways, I guess to reiterate, it's really pay attention, prioritize recovery first. And don't force yourself to get in too quickly into training. Some people might be able to do one hard workout like I did. Some mm-hmm. people might be able to do zero. Yeah, different rates of recovery, different uh, outside stressors, different amounts of stress coming into it. Like you did a whole bunch of traveling, and I think you were still training through a lot of that. So you came into it more fatigued than either Jonathan or I. Yes, yeah. for sure. Um, so, yeah, that's a good overall takeaway, though, Nate. Good job on, on isolating that. Well done. Thank you, Jonathan. Yeah, you're very welcome. I'm let's, good. Let's get into, uh, I'm good. There he goes, doing the police compliment again. Uh, let's get into Dave's. Uh, this was just a comment that he is some helpful info that he sent in. He says, comment on podcast episode 115 about cold weather riding. Nate said he bets someone makes some kind of boot that you can clip in on. The answer, not surprisingly, is yes. We, we talked about the specialized one that they have. I think it's called like the defroster or something. Um, but the mixed reviews that we had heard on that. He says 45 North, and that's 45 NR. 
RTH. Makes awesome cold weather riding gear, including a range of boots where the beefiest, the Wolfgar, is rated to negative 25 degrees Fahrenheit. It's basically a mountaineering boot, boot with a cleat on the sole. That sounds like a fat bike match right there, right? It does. Uh, I own a pair of the Wolf the Wolf Hammers. That's the mid range boot, and have ridden in temps down to negative twenty degrees Fahrenheit. Why? <laughs> a friend of mine has ridden with the Wolf Gars down to negative forty degrees Fahrenheit. Jeez, their lightest boot, the Japanther, is recommended for transition season riding, and it's a better choice than shoes plus booties if you do a lot of riding in these temps. Check them out. Cool. So, and we also had a couple other people mentioning Mavic making some winter shoes, and I have actually heard good things about those. So. Uh, if you're looking to keep the feet warm, those are other options. Matthew's question. He says a couple of questions and a thank you. First, thank you for a great product and a great podcast with your help this year. I was capable or I was able to hit a double peak and perform well at both my big targets for the year. Trainer works, simply plan the work coach Chad's part and work the plan athletes part. Nice. Look at that guy. You're welcome. Yeah. 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 Writing it well. Nice job. A nice job. Nice job, Matthew. He says, I'm a 45 year old master's age group cyclist, a road cyclist. I have a couple questions that I link. Uh, and I actually, we're, we're skipping through just the guy has a lot of accolades. Yeah, well his, done. His Palmares are impressive. Yes. He's had a good year. Yeah. Um, and we're just going to skip through to the questions if that's okay here. So he says, I, I have a couple of questions that I think a lot of master's age group athletes have, or at least my peer groups are using your software have. Number one, I improved in every measurable watt range on my training peaks power curve from one minute to 20 minutes with trainer road, uh, except for my peak power in a sprint that has gone down approximately 100 Watts. Do you think this is age related or maybe just not enough focused effort on max output? A bit of both, but probably mostly the latter. Uh, it can be age related and you can definitely sacrifice some muscle mass as you age, especially if you don't address it via strength training. Um, but basically this type of power, if you don't train it, it doesn't magically come unless, you know, you're, you're physiologically predisposed and you just have a lot of short twitch and you're kind of a born sprinter. You have to, at some point, address it very specifically. Fast twitch. You said short twitch. Yeah. Oh, did I? Yeah. Fast twitch. <laughs> he looked at me when he said short twitch. Freudian <laughs> <laughs> slip. Sorry. Um, <laughs> But anyway, you, you, you have to address it. So do a couple of sprint workouts. I mean, it, I'm not entirely sure that that sort of training really matters considering, you know, the way you won your races, the events you excelled in. I don't know how important a sprint is, but if it is important, then it's going to have to be addressed. How much, what, what's, I think we've covered this before. What's the peak wattage you've hit? 1808, I think. Dear me. It's it <laughs> I mean, like one second power. It's not it's like I can do anything. power like meter. Um, <laughs> I, I, Chad, though. We don't have a ton of sprint stuff, right? There are some workouts, but sprinting on the trainer yeah, you is can, probably not highly recommended. No, I don't recommend it at all. You can do, you know, five second pops and whatnot and 10 second, 15 second, all that stuff really well on a trainer. Mm -hmm. um, you know, assuming your tire doesn't slip and you've set up all the, the necessities. But when it comes to actually doing a true neuromuscular burst of power, that's best left for outside. I mean, there's so much body English that goes into totally. that. There's so much explosiveness that simply can't be contained with a trainer. Can I ask you, off the top of your head, what would be your favorite outdoor sprint workout for someone to do? Uh, it depends. I like to do <clears throat> the the stomps, basically, where you, you put it in the biggest gear you can. So you slow to like a five-mile-per-hour crawl, a kilometer-per-hour crawl. And then put it into the biggest gear that you think you can wind up, which, you know, maybe, maybe will be your 11-tooth cog. 
in your big ring even just whatever gear you can can eventually get up to speed and then just stomp on those pedals you know if, if you can, you can if you can reach 90 rpm inside of 15 20 seconds you can probably use a bigger gear hmm. um, this is a bit dangerous in terms of joint integrity so if you can't jump into something like this i absolutely don't recommend it but that's where you start doing uh, different sort of sprint workouts but it's in in terms of muscle recruitment and increasing your increasing your force creation capabilities the stomps are one of the most effective ways to go about it so you need to be really well warmed up Mm-hmm. And then how many of those intervals would you do and how much uh, rest between five, five, six, maybe eight on a super good day. If the power's still there, if I'm mm-hmm. still, you know, muscling it up to a decent, and it's not even really about power so much as uh, getting up to that, that cadence floor in, in a particular duration. Mm-hmm. Um, and then rest between them would be four or five minutes long. You could even extend that out to eight to 10 minutes. So excessive, uh, I shouldn't say excessive rest, but more rest perhaps than some people might anticipate. And the goal is just to allow yourself to fill up those tanks, so to speak. Yeah, right? somewhat. I mean, this is more of a neuromuscular demand than a, than a metabolic one, but you still recover well between them. That's what um, I was going to ask. If you're going into four of them and you have eight planned, but your legs, you just, you can, you can feel it when it's gone, yeah. right? Yeah. Uh, and it may, not, sprinting. it may not be gone, gone. You may just need to lengthen those recovery durations, but you'll know it when, when you've well, I'm going to say when it's gone, gone, pull the plug yeah. and go home. Don't, yeah, there's, don't force your yeah. way through it. It's not mm-hmm. going to help. Past that, you're you're missing that particular point. And yeah. possibly damaging yourself or opening <laughs> yourself up for opening yourself you're just up. You're just increasing fatigue, and that fatigue is probably exactly. not going to be beneficial. It might just knock you down so that your next couple of workouts are a little flatter than they would have been. And I, I have seen, I want to touch back on the technique side of things, if that's okay with sprints, because mm-hmm. I see so many people who knows what type of force they're putting into their pedals, but it's not getting translated to forward momentum. And so many people, whether it's excessive swerving, whether it's uh, pulling too much uh, kind of upward with their feet and they end up, you know, hopping the back wheel up in the air Mm. or not looking ahead and just making a straight line instead they're swerving. So many people make a lot of mistakes that I see with these. Yeah, don't get super excessive with these. I mean, if you can work up, if you can muscle a really big gear, it doesn't necessarily mean you'll start with that really big gear. So start with something that's feasible, that allows a high level of control, still requires a lot of force, takes you a while to wind it up. And then over time you can decide, I I need an even bigger gear or I can work an even bigger gear. I'm gonna make you blush for a bit here, Chad. Uh, But one thing I've noticed that that Chad does when he sprints is, and you can see it with uh, Marcel Kittel as well, Oh, Kittle. I like where this is going. <laughs> Great hair. That's where I was going. I'm just joking. Uh, but uh, he does not swerve excessively. And Chad, when you sprint really hard, I noticed that you don't fight to keep your bike straight up and down. However, your bike is not, mm-hmm. you're, you aren't dipping the bars super low. You aren't swerving with the front end. You, I almost, at least from what I'm seeing from the outside in, it looks like you're you're consciously thinking, transfer this power into forward momentum when you're, when you're sprinting. Sure. Yeah. There's been a fair amount of practice. I spent a lot of time on a trainer, which definitely lends itself to that, that necessary control. Mm-hmm. And then I, I have a pretty strong body off the bike too, which yeah. goes a long ways towards high levels of control <laughs> yeah, during yeah. situations <laughs> like that. Those ladies in Santa Rosa noticed that too. Um, so would you do this workout on a flat road, slight incline, slight decline? It doesn't, you can do it in all, all types. Uh, I Steep. prefer the stomps on a flat road, mm-hmm. but you can do uphill sprints. Those are, those allow a, a high rate of force recruitment. Or, mm-hmm. Yeah. 
Um, downhill allows you to wind up more leg speed. So if you need to target more leg speed along with these sprints, you know, they each have their advantages. But for something like this, I would just use a flat road. Which I see a lot of people think that when they need to practice sprints, they need to practice low cadence. But a lot of the time, Depends what you're after. some sprints, depending on the course and depending on the day, everything else, mm -hmm. they end really quick. And in that situation, you may be even geared out. And I see it, you know, you, you'll usually see a different type of person or unless they're well-trained, it may not be the case, but you see a different type of guy, maybe rise to the front when you're dealing with 120 RPM in a sprint or something crazy. Yeah. Like that. Yeah. If leg speed happens to be a limiter, if the, you know, the sprint works out that way, then that's, you know, something you should target in your training. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, look at track cyclists. I don't even know how many RPM those guys those hit. Those guys are 200 plus, no problem. It's, it's insane. So his next question, in prep for nationals, I consistently held my diet to an approximate 300 to 500 calorie deficit per day for about five months. That sounds pretty rough. Yikes. He says, this helped me get close to goal weight, but weight loss stopped short of my goal. I continued with the diet as I generally felt good, but with no weight loss gains made over the course of the summer. I'm fortunate to have a university nutrition department locally that can measure BMR, that's basal metabolic rate, uh, correct, Chad? Mm -hmm. Yep. Uh, via respiration. And thankfully, I had that done last year. When I went to recheck BMR to try to figure out why I was no, long, no longer losing weight, we discovered my BMR decreased to match my caloric intake. Ding, ding, ding. I, nice, nice sound effects, Chad. Mm -hmm. We don't even need like a soundboard guy. We got <laughs> Chad. I increased my calorie intake for a few weeks and gained a couple of pounds, but then began to lose weight again at the higher calorie diet intake. My question is if you have come across any reliable resources that suggest how long you can calorie restrict without affecting BMR. I would like to lose some muscle weight before I begin sweet spot base in November. And I'm wondering when it may be best to target that calorie restriction. Should I read the rest chat or do you want to just- No, nah, I mean, this is, I can tell you my number one resource for questions of this nature is uh, Jason, I don't know if it's Fong or Fung, it's F-U-N-G, uh, his book, The Obesity Code. He addresses these things in depth, cites uh, ton, ton, plenty of studies, uh, really well carried out studies, huge studies in some cases, ones that extend multiple years and involve thousands of participants. Um, and it's, it's, it basically just goes back to, uh, a metabolic set point or a body weight set point. I mean, we can trick our bodies into weight loss over the short term with dietary modification, no problem, but over the longer term, it self-regulates and the amount of calories in will dictate how much work we can do. And if we're constantly depriving ourselves of those calories, we cannot do as much work. Everything eventually comes into line and, you know, per performance t suffers or you put that weight back on and performance goes, goes back to where it was. This is, that's fascinating stuff to me that the body adjusts like that. Yeah. They, I've heard something, uh, they did a study on biggest losers, um, mm -hmm. the, the show oh, and yeah, it's yeah. perfectly explainable. They too. do like this really huge caloric deficit, like <laughs> yeah, a thousand might, calories yeah. a day. Right. Yeah. And then, um, afterwards they've, their BMR, like normal day is like 700 calories or something. Oh it's like God. something really crazy. Yeah, low. They don't address the internal mechanisms, the hormonal ones. That's what it's all about. I mean, all this weight loss, fat loss is 95% dietary. You can influence it with exercise. Sure. But you can't do much about it. It's, it's, it's a very small part of the puzzle. And in bodybuilding, what people do is they bulk and they cut. And then when they cut, they do these things called like refeeds because they don't want to to hurt their BMR. So they'll do days or, or meals where they eat a whole bunch more to try to counteract that ability mm -hmm. where your BMR just starts going down and down and down and down mm -hmm. and down. That um, makes sense. Yep. And, and then the, the last thing to say is, um, one more piece of this puzzle is if you could get a DEXA scan to see, did you lose a bunch of muscle mass too? Because mm -hmm. that also would affect your mm -hmm. BMR yeah, you and that would, composition. that could give a, just one more 
data point in that puzzle because he sounds like yeah. if he's getting BMR tests and going to nationals, he could probably get a DEXA too. Yeah, he yeah, mentions just, that he got the Tanita scale uh, for per our recommendation. He said that he's between seven to nine percent body fat, but the value to me of that DEXA is really getting into seeing where that stuff is. You know, where mm-hmm. the fat exchange or fat yeah. loss and and lean mass in the lean mass change right is yeah. going on. Yeah, and that's a big concern. I mean, I personally experienced it when we did our you know, our DEXAs and whatnot. But you just consider what you're doing if you're depriving the body of fuel. It has to come from somewhere. So initially, it comes from fat stores, and everyone's happy because they're you know they're getting leaner. But eventually, the fat sores, a lot of things happen, but fat sores aren't cutting it. And either way, maybe it starts to dip into protein. Then you start to you know, experience these performance losses. And then it self-regulates. And now you're just at a, a, lower, out, a lower output level because your, your intake is lowered. So part of the takeaway is uh, once a week, go to Popeye's. <laughs> Fix this up right <laughs> that away. That is the lesson of this story. Yep. <laughs> no, just just joking. But We were searching for Popeye's, by the way, the night before the race uh, at Levi's Grand Fondo. Couldn't find it. No, afterwards. In right? an attempt afterwards, to talk yeah, you out right, of yeah. McDonald's. Yeah. <laughs> after, I talked myself out of McDonald's. You did. <laughs> you to did. your credit, you did. Yeah. I think you grabbed a salad instead. Quite salad impressive. and uh, crackers and cheese. Yeah. <laughs> it's good. And apples. His last question, do you have any experience with electronic muscle flushing systems like the Mark Pro? I'm curious on your thoughts. And, and by the way, we, we talked about how we want to touch this because these can be this can be a, a touchy situation at times. But he says, curious your thoughts on ideal times to use and maybe not use. He says certain research seems to point to inflammatory mediators and muscle tissue to, to drive a greater rebuilding response. And I'm curious if flushing this debris during base and build periods would be detrimental to the intended effect. Yep. And that's what the the studies carried out by the manufacturers will tell you. But the fact is we can't find anything that definitely um, supports it or definitely does not. What we can do is draw a very strong correlation between (laughs) when you use these devices, you are forced to lay there and rest. Yeah. How much of this recovery is coming because you're forced to rest? How much of it is coming because of the muscle stimulation? Who can tell? Yeah, that's the tricky thing, right? Like how good are we at sitting down and absolutely not moving and like staying in the same spot with legs up, if we don't have something forcing us to do it, it's usually pretty tough. Uh, so. so I've used the Mark Pro actually a lot. Yeah. Um, Cause one of the teams here, they're sponsored again for free. And plus you've heard me complain a lot about tired legs. Yeah. I didn't, I couldn't find any, it didn't help at all for me at least. Yeah. One thing that has helped a ton, which I, I don't have any data to back this up. is one of those <laughs> not science things, but just rolling my quads. Yeah. Like doing that twice a day, that has, I think, made a huge change and be able to, that I can work out um, more often and harder in my workouts and my powers. I think it's pretty safe that you can attribute the improvement in the way your muscles feel due to that. Because that's the, what else have you changed? I've all three things. Three big things. (laughs) Of course. Uh (laughs) Flawed study. (laughs) No, it is. It's totally flawed. (laughs) CPAP, better sleep. But that started like three months before I did this. Hmm. High carb diet eating like the endurance diet way, like fruits yeah. and vegetables, not, not just high carb, quite a a high quality too. food too. Yeah. yeah. That started the same time as I was rolling. So uh, it's like all three of those, it's like, well, you're sleeping tricky. better, you're eating better food and you're rolling. Yeah. Who knows? But I, uh, I'm still going to roll. And it's well, good thing about it is you can get just a piece of foam for like $7. Yeah. And it's just as good as the yeah. Really, well, it breaks down. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. It can break down. They don't yeah. last. Those other firmer ones. Uh, they last longer. Have, the trigger the point one I have one right ones. now, I'll have forever. That trigger point one. Yeah, yeah they they last right. a long time. If you want to get into it, you can pay seven dollars. Amazon Basics. There's one for seven bucks. Is that there? I have. Yeah, it's, true. it's I keep it in my office. Uh, one thing on this too, uh, we, we've had people write in before asking about like elevated legs or the compression boots that you can wear. Um, mm-hmm. 
And I have used those. And once again, they force you to lay down. Uh, the one thing I can say about that is it feels fantastic because it's like a good massage. So, uh, you know, there are a lot of different things that, uh, that you could aid your recovery that, that may have, you know, it may be tough to find solid data behind it, but if it forces you to lay down and you otherwise can't lay down, then maybe it's a good investment. Who knows? Yeah, right. Sure. So there's a ton of stuff. We even mentioned before about like cramp products. <laughs> you just say <laughs> it'll fix cramps and someone who has cramps will try it. Yeah. Because they just want it to work. Someone so someone who has cramps did try it and was tremendously disappointed. <laughs> <laughs> Can we, yeah. You want to mention that? Yeah. It's it's okay. It didn't work for you. Yeah. yeah just I because so. it didn't work for you. I, I want to say this before. <clears throat> this is a good analogy. I thought about this morning in the shower. Trainer wrote, sometimes we'll have, let's say there's a bug that happens with some software. Mm -hmm. And we look at the data and we just can't figure out why something is happening. Mm -hmm. But what happens once we look deeper, there's actually three separate problems with the same outcome. Yeah. So then when you try one fix against like the wrong out, the wrong mm. problem fix, it doesn't work. So at one of the aid stations, Chad, had you, had you already cramped? Yeah, I, I was dealing yeah. with a little bit of cramping, nothing that was making me stop moving. This is at Levi's Grand Fondo mm -hmm. and Chad tried, they had the hot shot stuff there. Mm -hmm. And I at took the one. base of the final climb of the day, which is genius. Yeah. I, when I rolled up, I was like, really? Because we even thought we were like, oh man, they should have had those hot shots at an aid station. I was just about to dip into a restaurant to get some mustard or hot sauce packets. <laughs> I was desperate. <laughs> Let's go back. We've, there's been research saying that like really spicy f foods, stuff that like, uh, activates, I don't know what the word is. TRP channel transient. Yep. Yeah, yeah. In your mouth mm -hmm. can prevent or, uh, reduce cramping. Okay. Mm -hmm. Yep. Right. So this is why hot shots is a product. And yeah. that's, that's why people mustard hot sauce, that stuff. That's yeah. why they can. And I've experimented with that just, just at home when I have foot cramps after a ride, um, something with my arch support in my shoes, but either way I have the cramps and I can't get rid of them. Mustard hot sauce seems it, it's done the trick several times in a row. Mm -hmm. So I had a lot of faith in this, in the potential of this product. Uh, it didn't work for me. And I downed three of them, um, three over of them the, over the, yeah, I was, <laughs> oh. it was just getting worse and worse over the course of this last climb, which was what? Three K it, it was. Yeah. It was actually pretty long. I think that that one was about five miles. If you really added but everything in, in defense, <clears throat> excuse me, in defense of products like this one, I was still doing a lot of work. I was still really jamming on the pedals at 40, 50 RPM at high wattages on steep grades. So I don't know that any product is gonna is gonna help in that instance. Yeah. Had I taken, you know, kept an extra bottle with me, crossed the finish line, sat down and chugged it, maybe it would have done the trick. I don't know. Yeah, that's a good point, right? And I took, hmm. I just wanted to try it because it was free. So I took one and man, I have a pretty good stomach. We've talked about this, yeah. but this, it was like, uh, doing a shot of whiskey and you can feel it like in your stomach it burns down. I thought I was going to throw up, but I mean, if I was going to, I don't know if it prevented cramps, but if I was cramping, I would have tried it because yeah. cramping yeah. is much You'll worse. You'll try anything in that Exactly. Moment. Yeah. If I would have had it at uh, Carson City Off-Road, I would have chugged like a gallon of it. I had fuller, full on rigor in my left calf at one point. We could see it like- I mean, I couldn't the, get it to release. I, saw, I was stuck in a plantar flex, so I looked like I'm jumping on my left side only. I couldn't- I saw a cascade of of contractions going down your quadriceps. It's it was awful. Pretty I'm really looking. quite tired of it. I want to say too that just because this product didn't work for Chad when he was so mm -hmm. deep right. doesn't that, mean that it's not a good product. I think that was one of the most extreme situations I could have used to try out a product like that. Right. So that's the the extreme end of it. Flat would you try it again? I would, and I want to. Yeah. yeah. Mm -hmm. We should get some, and we should just because they're pretty small. You can put it in your jersey pocket. Oh yeah, yeah. No, Monica. I'm happy to try it again. Yeah. Dude, I bet you someone, I bet if Hot Shots is not having someone at Kona give those things out, oh. like I would, they're, they're, <laughs> they're missing department. A, they're missing yeah. a massive opportunity. Yeah. yeah. Oh, that'd be a great, great yeah. place. Okay, we'll, we'll get, we'll buy some. 
Awesome. Last question is from Jason. He says, Hey guys, I've listened to the podcast and used the app for a while now, and I've learned a ton of great stuff about training. So thanks a million. This weekend, I did a cycling leg of a half Ironman relay team and had a great time. I've never thought about doing a triathlon before, but this weekend I can see the appeal. I think the bug bit him. Yeah. He says, I can run and cycle pretty well and love training for both. I'd like to do a triathlon myself, but like many others who run and cycle, my swimming is wildly awful. (laughs) That's a a great- Welcome to the club, buddy. That's a good way to explain it. That's how I feel about my swimming too. He says, the real complication though, is I had an incident where I almost drowned in the ocean and ever since then, I get panicky in the water. I'd like to overcome this and start to work on my form as it's been many years since the event, but every time I get in the water, it's all I can do not to lose my cool. I've thought about getting private lessons, but I'm worried about looking ridiculous in front of someone else as it's pretty embarrassing. This question is really about overcoming fear in the setting of training, I guess. What do the pros do to get back on the bike after a hard crash? Or do you have any tips on how I can get past this and work on my swimming? Yes. There are a lot and I've coached a lot of, when I was in triathlon, I'd always try to get everyone else in triathlon. I was like a CrossFit person and, <laughs> you, um, swimming was always, swimming was always the, the hard part. Yeah. And there's a few things that I can think of that help. Um, one doing most like start off training in a pool, like 25 meter pool where you can stand up or you can grab the lane line. Um, that, you know, when you have that safety net where you're like, I'm not going to drown in the pool when the, it's only four feet deep or something. Right. Um, that is a great way to start. Absolutely get lessons. They, I guarantee you, they've seen worse people than you. And it's not even like they don't even care. It's just the same kind of mentality as I don't want to go get a personal trainer because I'm too weak. Mm-hmm. It's the opposite. Like big dudes in the gym, they see someone come in who's like weak and they're like, go for it, buddy. You're awesome. They're not yeah. like looking down on that person. Yeah, exactly. Just don't be a jerk. Like that's the only thing. And people <laughs> are really supportive. Get over your ego for a minute. I took swim lessons when I was 22 and I was in a pool with a bunch of little kids who are Oh, yeah. Out swimming me right, <laughs> right from the start. Yeah. Yeah. Be prepared for an eight-year-old to just zoom by you. Like, <laughs> th- there are some amazingly fast swimmer kids. Um, so definitely take lessons. And then for open water swim, if you are, uh, one thing I highly recommend, and you might have to find a coach with this, you can do it yourself, but there's something called totally uh, total, total immersion, immersion. swimming, mm-hmm. which is, it's like this. It's not the fastest way to swim, but it's a good way to swim at a decent pace for a long time and not get tired and to be really like relaxed. And that's actually how I started to swim. Does it kind of force you to relax? Is that because they they push the balance and the efficiency thing to the... So it's, can you describe it a bit? Yeah. So basically how Chad said, it's, it's putting your head down. It's, it has a very specific spot of where you put your arm and it's about gliding and using the least amount of energy possible. So you're not going to be the front of the pack doing this, but you can get through it and not spend a lot of energy because some of that part is the panic is, oh my God, I'm breathing so hard and mm-hmm. I'm going to be in trouble. And I've got to put my head back into the water and all I need to do is take a huge breath and relax. If you, exactly. If you only learn to find your balance in the water, if that's the only thing you take from total immersion, you can still be quite a fast swimmer. And that's a proper basis upon which to build. So on, on top of that, let's say you get some of that swimming stuff. When you actually get into open water, First thing, wetsuit, it's like a life suit, life jacket. When you're in open water, it is hard to like sink if you have a wetsuit on. Mm-hmm. And I think Total Immersion 2 teaches the ability where you can just kind of glide on your back or your side for a while and really get those extra breaths and then turn over. Mm-hmm. Um, next thing is I would not have your first open water swim be during the race. Mm-hmm. Um, my wife, I took her to some open water swim clinics. If you ever come to Reno area, there's some great ones, but look for those kind of things. That will help a lot. Mm-hmm. Um, 
Two, they, they also make a product. It's like this belt that you can put on. It'll add a little bit drag, but it's a, you pull on it and it will, uh, it's an inflatable device. So it's pretty much, it's kind of like those uh, aircraft life vests where you pull on something and it pops mm -hmm. open. So you can have that, like have a life, an extra life jacket on you. It's legal in triathlon swimming um, to, hmm. to have one of those. Hmm. And you just, I mean, it's going to make you a little bit slower, but you, at least we'll get you into it. And having that safety net as you. That's the thing is yeah. getting rid of the anxiety, right? The other thing to think about is in these triathlons, uh, you can do like some of the bigger ones, definitely the bigger ones have more kayaks and more people in the water mm -hmm. and they pay attention to the slower people. So when, when the race starts to let everyone go, cause you don't need that extra stress of having someone kick you in the face and then go and or swim I, over the top of you. Yeah, yeah exactly. The, the last people like they'll have kayakers like right next to them the whole race. Right. And then mm -hmm. you can, I believe too, in triathlon, don't hold me to this, but I think you can hold on to the kayak and rest, but you, they can't help you go forward. So okay. it's not like they're not going to kick you out if you just grab on and rest. I that might mm, look that up, but okay. either way, it's just hold on to the kayak and rest. Who yeah. cares? You get a DNF at the end. Still yeah. do the whole race as long as they don't pull you. Um, and then the one last thing is some races too, like the old Vine Man. Yeah. Um, you could walk almost the entire swim. <laughs> So that also <laughs> shallow helps. Water. So shallow. Um, that might be, I know, I think they changed it, but that might be hard to find a race that's like that. Mm -hmm. And I wouldn't use that as a crutch forever, but it was great. Cause I mean, some of the race too, you'd run. So you kind of swim and sometimes it would go down to six or eight feet, but a lot of it was like three feet deep. Wow. And then <laughs> you're not so scared, right? If you can, it's like the pool. Um, yeah. back at your local Y where you can just stand up. Would finding a swim with like favorable current be a good idea too? Um, yes. I mean, I guess I'm, to reduce anxiety. Yeah. You, you definitely don't want one with unfavorable current. Yeah. So, uh, my wife's going to do one this weekend, actually. And I haven't told her yet, but sometimes a little bit of a current <laughs> depending on which way you go. Um, and I don't even want to see right now she wants to do it. So I don't want to tell her, be like, yeah. you could have a head, uh, I don't know if they call it a head current, but you could be swimming into a current. Right. There's other ones like Oceanside where you're in a bay and then you get into the ocean and having that extra chop and wave doesn't help. Yeah, so kind of like flat lakes are better. Mm -hmm. um, mm -hmm. You can also, Jason, if you're really worried about it, have one of your friends volunteer as a kayak person and have them follow you. That's yeah, totally that acceptable too. Yep, they, can, they can be 10 feet off you. And if someone else is in trouble, they'll go help them. But they can also... Uh, be close to you and you just have that mental crutch of knowing someone I trust is there and ready to grab me if I need help. Yeah. And when we're talking about like efficiency in the water, I guess this is a little different, but when we're talking about just feeling comfortable enough to not panic in the water, I think that a lot of it comes down to just, you know, getting you calmed down almost that, that like arousal level that we've talked about before, like just reducing that to a manageable point, right? It's not necessarily making you the world's most efficient swimmer as it is just getting rid of that anxiety. It's both. And, yeah. uh, what, especially another thing with cold water to do is when you get in, get in it, the, the lake, go the bobs, like you did as a kid, 10 of those unzip your wetsuit, mm -hmm. get a bunch of cold water in there, zip it up, do more bobs and get used to that. Because what can happen is at the beginning of a race, if you don't, or maybe you warm up and you get out and you wait for a while, you'll jump back into a cold water race. Cool. And the shock of that, along with trying to put out, you know, I, I would, I would think that the beginning of a race athletes put out like 800 cycling Watts, you know what I mean? You're right. You're jamming harder than you should. Yeah. And that can really take your breath away. And then when your breath is gone, that's when panic sets in, right? When you can't breathe, 
and there's no like uh, reprieve from it. Right. That so makes sense. It's spending time in the water is the best way to feel better. And really the uh, I think swimming's safer than cycling. I know in triathlon there's mm-hmm. been some deaths with heart problems, but I think they've all been like someone already had a heart problem and right. it's not the swim that did it. Yeah, usually crashing in the water doesn't hurt as bad as crashing on pavement. Yeah. <laughs> uh, Chad, do you have anything else to add on that? I mean, this is, I don't. Uh, that was a very thorough answer. You awesome, I learned a lot. Yeah. Yeah, well yeah. done. Uh, what do we, hey, next question. When are we doing it? <laughs> when are we doing one, dudes? I don't know. Whenever. Swim for Chad, run for Jonathan, bike for me. Sure. Well, and I'm also thinking, you know, all three for, for each of us, you know, all three disciplines. Do a whole triathlon? Like, Maybe we do a half. Five years. Oh, yeah. I'm, I'm talking. I want to ease my way in on a sprint. Easy now. It's okay. half do a stuff. Full try. <laughs> oh, that's so much training. No, let's do Olympic. Let's just limit it to Olympic. For now. Yeah. Yeah. Well, no, anyways. a half. Okay. Let's do a half. A half? At some but, point. No. <laughs> it's just so much. <clears throat> it is a lot of training, but I want to do it because I really, I feel like I understand, uh, triathletes to the best degree that I can. Right. I mean, I, 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 I've trained with Liz Lyles pretty regularly and, and top level athletes. And, and I speak with triathletes every day, uh, people that use train road, but at the same time, I know that I don't understand fully what it's like. You don't have our neuroticism or anxiety because mm-hmm. you have to come from like the typical, typical triathlete is someone who's like in an office and some dude in the office is like, I did a triathlon. And the person goes, Hey, I could probably do a triathlon too. Yeah. And they get into it. Not with a big, I don't think the, the people with the big athletic, like endurance, um, history don't have that same kind of feeling that people coming in from off the couch do. So I may not understand that period you're yeah. saying. But yeah. you do like 40 triathlons and you'll get into it. <laughs> That's all. Okay. No, I mean, really though, it's yeah, don't, it's, it's one triathlon does not make, well, it oh, does make a triathlete, but you won't really understand yeah. it. Yeah. I wouldn't understand it at all. I don't think with just one, that would just be my own experience there. So they're fun though. Way fun. I mean, it looks, they actually look fun. Yeah. It's just three time trials, three back to back time trials. That's what it is. And yeah. you, and it's just like the cross ones where you get kind of close to people who, you know. And then, or not who you know, but like you're racing kind of against them, but it's not really a race because it could be for 19th and 20th or 100th and whatever. Yeah. Um, and then also there's always the balance between swim, bike, and run where your spike might be faster, but then your, your run got slower, but you know what I mean? It's a very like, yeah. a, it's a, it's a dynamic creature. Exactly. I it's hope it's hard to get it right to unlock mm-hmm. it. And I never unlocked it. I got running. I think I told you, I told my wife this last night cause she's worried about her swim. One of my races, I was 77th on the swim. Seventh on the run, seventh on the bike <laughs> for like the splits. <laughs> so I passed a lot of people, but the swim is something I've never unlocked. Um, but I do feel comfortable in the water, but I just, yeah. I'm not the, I zigzag. That's my problem. I just hope we can reach across the aisle and bring some <laughs> bonding between cyclists and triathletes, get cyclists over the sock thing, mm-hmm. get triathletes <laughs> over all the, the snobbly, snobby <laughs> roadie stuff. Who knows? No, I got to say <laughs> us having done cyclocross racing, I do feel like I'm a better cyclocross coach now. So it stands to reason that we do a couple of triathlons. I'll feel like I'm a better triathlon coach. Yeah. Even though you've worked with multi-sport athletes, of mm-hmm. course, in the past. Yeah. So. All right, everybody, that covers it for this week. Uh, we will be coming at you with more podcasts coming up. Remember the Rafa Cycle Club live event. That's November 4th, Saturday, November 4th. And that'll kick off at 8 a.m. And you can submit your questions to us at trainerroad.com slash podcast. And we will talk to you next week. Thanks, everybody. Thanks, everybody. Bye-bye.